Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast about the families all over the world who love someone with Rett syndrome. A bit of a backstory here, Caroline and I have actually known each other for about seven years at this point and even though we haven't had a proper chat in person, talking to her was so amazing and free-flowing that I've had to do some creative editing to bring you our conversation in two parts for the podcast. I was so grateful to spend some time talking to Caroline about their experience with Rett syndrome, what it was like and is like for her daughter Charlotte and for Charlotte's older sister Georgia. And to also speak about her divorce with Charlotte's dad. I know it was a hard topic to speak about, so I thank Caroline so much for being so open and honest. She knew that other families might be in the same situation, so I am grateful that she was able to talk about what it was like for her. Here is part one of my talk with Caroline. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast this morning. Let's start with talking about your daughter, Charlotte, who she's, is she almost 10? now yeah she'll be 10 in november so she's 10 and she lives with Rett syndrome yes Back when she was a baby were there any early signs of Rett syndrome with charlotte looking back there was i thought she was just a lot more passive and a lot more laid back and i guess just a bit slower than her my firstborn um Mm. georgia because georgia was just fast wanting to do everything like yesterday Mm. so um mark my former husband um charlotte's dad and I just thought, this is like a really chilled out baby. You know, she, she took longer to feed. She was very passive. And we thought, oh, and everyone was remarking about how, well, I hope we have a baby that so goes to sleep at the right time. And, you know, you mm. wait to feed them. And kind of like this dream baby, which sounds horrible to say that now, but I guess that would, that would have been one of the earlier signs, just being so passive and easygoing. We thought it was a personality Maybe it is part of her personality, but I think more so now. I think it's more the fact that she's just, yeah, just functionally just not able to to go as fast or to to do as much um, at that time anyway before any intervention. So I think that were some of the flags when she was very, very young, like before even six months. So you were definitely seeing some differences between her and her sister at that stage. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. So when did you start the diagnosis process? When did you start to think that maybe you should be looking into this more? I think my parents were saying a few things, but, you know, parents say, and some friends were just concerned that she's quite chilled out and in, from a concern point of view, but, but not too much, just before she was one, she was always bottom shuffling around the house and she was very babbly as well. So she seemed mm-hmm. to be responding socially fine before she was one, but there was one particular moment that always stands out. It's so clear in, in my mind. Um, my parents bought Charlotte this, you know, amazing, you know, with the first year old birthday parties are all crazy mm. lights and lots of buttons and just like a walker thing. Mm. And we helped her open it because at that time she wasn't really opening as well. Maybe at that time we didn't realise about the her hand use. Um, and it was amazing, this toy. Uh, even though I'd seen it, I always get a bit fascinated by all these baby toys. They're just amazing. So we opened it. We were like, oh, wow, Charlotte, look at that. Mm. And she just looked right past it like it wasn't even there. And Mark and yeah. I looked at each other and went, that is such an odd reaction and and from there a few more little things started happening until about probably six months later and then she just was quite unresponsive so I think now I'm I'm realizing that that was the regressive stage where Mm -hmm. she just was realizing she wasn't able to maybe babble as much or move her body as much eyesight wise I don't know if that gets affected but I mean she's been checked with all that and her eyes are fine Mm. but just that unresponsiveness um, really floored us so I guess at one and a half years, then we thought, no, we need to probably see a community health nurse. We saw a community health nurse. 
she was concerned, so she put us in the system of seeing a paediatrician. And we started from there because she wasn't, I think there's the five flags and I should remember them now. I would Google them so much at the time, but <laughs> the main thing was that she was so socially unresponsive. Um, mm. The eye contact, like that was a big change because before she was responding, you know, like a, I always say neurotypical, I'm not a fan of the normal word, but mm. she was just responding like so differently. It was like whether we were in, in or out of the room, there was no response all of a sudden, it seemed. So we started mm. that process then. And that was when she was about 18 months old. Yeah, about 18 months, yeah. Okay. So, after, who, yeah. Who did, you, who did you see after the community health nurse? Yeah, so she um, put us in contact with a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. I think we might have seen, at that point as well, my Mark's mum, I still call her mother-in-law, Connie, she's mm-hmm. actually a midwife, so she's got some connections here oh. locally. So she said, look, um, instead of seeing the pediatrician that you've been allocated, see this lady. She's, she's um, I think she's uh, spot on, um, an older pediatrician. Went to see her and, yeah, she was really concerned. She, she uh, child being such of such young age, not, she had... We did some things on the floor. We did like looked at blocks and she was trying to test whether or not Charlotte was playing with anything, whether she was looking at her. And by this time, Charlotte was just not interested. She was always not interested. She was always sitting up really well. Like she's her spine and her that adjustment mm. has always been really strong. So she was she was just her face was just so monotone all the time, all of a sudden. And she her name was Anne, this pediatrician, and she said, Look, I'm really concerned because socially it looks like along the autism way, but not not so much so we're going to do the series of tests that we can do and um, but cognitively I'm concerned so we'll keep looking to see it's be important to find out a diagnosis and I, I was on a bit of a, a hunt to find a diagnosis I had gone to a party I think before she, between one and 18 months where we were now and a friend of a friend's mum works with special needs children and she said and I was going to be really hard like this journey that I think you've started and I hope you don't mind me I don't know this woman from a bar of soap mm. she goes but um it's clear that Charlotte probably does have something that's not, she's not developing neurotypically from my experience. So really try and put your grief aside and try and find out what it is because then you can find a path for her, what's worked, people that might be 10 years ahead of you. And that was a, a real, um, it was it was a shock that she said that to me, but yeah. I was glad that she did because it, it made me realise that, no, it'll be important not just for Charlotte, but for all of us to kind of go yeah. down this path and kind of find out what's happening to her so we can help her the best that we can, you know? So so I was on a hunt, you know, Dr. Google, pediatrician, <laughs> just trying to find, okay, what's happening, what's happening? So we started from there, a series of blood tests and, and appointments regularly to try and see if there was any changing things that were happening for her. And how long did you did it take to finally get that diagnosis? So from that point to the diagnosis point? So I was, I was thinking about that yesterday. So I think it was, well, she was diagnosed yeah, August 2012. So mm-hmm. I got the phone call then. So I think the test took three months. So um, wow. just under a year, I think it took um, for oh, us wow. making, having those appointments and me, you know, um, seeing the pediatrician, things like that. We, I actually asked the pediatrician, I'm not sure if you knew this, but I, I found Rett syndrome on the website, on, on the web. Like, um, How did you find it? <laughs> I think it was from one of your blogs um, and also oh, really? from Grace. Yeah, yeah. Um, Grace, you know, Grace. Oh, um, Elizabeth Halford, Grace. Grace for yes, yeah. Amazing. Such a great resource. She's, just a, yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, support everything. Um, and me just Googling because everyone kept on asking me, well, not, who was everyone? 
I guess the pediatrician, you know, has she lost anything? And at mm. that point, I didn't realize that she had lost any skills because that's what they look for, like losing skills. Mm -hmm. um, apart from the um, not being socially responsive, you know, has she lost any skills? And I think because of seasonally, we hadn't really been giving any finger food things to Charlotte because that was kind of around the winter kind of period. And then it kind yeah. of came to spring and summer. Then we started putting the sultanas and like Vegemite sandwich things on her on her high chair. And it was only then that I realized she suddenly couldn't she pick couldn't anything pick up. up. She lost that pincer grip. And we realized that, I remember um, someone coming, they're going, oh, I think you're giving Charlotte too much food. She's just throwing it on the floor. And I'm like going, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, no. And I just realized she couldn't actually pick it up anymore. And I was like horrified, mm. but also kind of thinking maybe this is something, you know? So then mm -hmm. that added to my search. And then I found that because that's one of the things Charlotte always um even now, you know, she's always loved her food. So she didn't have yep. the small head, which is the typical thing. That was back then, it seems. I think there's more information there now. The small feet. She was never the small kind of person. She was always regular size. Mm. Um, but then when I put in loss of hand use, Rhett syndrome came up or, or change of hand use. And I read about it and I was like horrified. And I thought, well, I'll come to the pediatrician and ask her. And I, and I told her she didn't, hadn't heard of that before. Oh, my goodness. So she, she Googled it. Yeah, at that time. She, she Googled it. <laughs> Or all, whatever they do on their medical, it would be Google. Like, they do something Maybe else. Maybe she did, it. yeah. <laughs> but she looked at it and she said, look, clinically I would say yes, but there is a blood test that you can check. So we can also do that. Um, and she was quite concerned. She's saying, well, this is, this is quite this is quite extreme, but we'll, we'll do, but she didn't tell me that it took three months for the testing because all the other tests mm -hmm. came back after four weeks. So yeah. when that didn't come back after four weeks, I was like going, oh, thank God. Yeah, you know, nothing came back. Yeah, else. it's fine. Yeah. We'll just look, keep looking. And then, yeah, I didn't actually get a call from her. I got a call from Helen, actually. Dr. So Helen Leonard. Helen. Yeah. yeah. And then Helen called me. Yep. To tell me. Wow. So how did you finally feel when you got that red syndrome diagnosis? Yeah, it was, it was, um, you remember these phone calls, don't you? You just remember them. I just, it was just after midday, August the 6th, 2012. Mm. Um, obviously I was home. Charlotte was still young, like two and a half. And, um, yeah, she, she had tried to call me a few times and I called her back and I didn't actually know who this Dr. Helen Leonard was. So I was a bit like, oh, that's not my Who's calling me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Who's right. That? So, so she rang and she said, look, um, I've been speaking with, you know, a pediatrician and, and um, she wanted me to call you because I, I lead a team of, I can't actually even remember the words that she used, but I just remember hearing Rett syndrome and that she can put me in contact with other parents in Perth that have got a, a same diagnosis if, she, if I've got any questions for her, um, she can come into the appointment with Anne, like at my kind of next appointment with Anne to come and have a chat about it. Mm. Um, and just to let me know that, you know, that, that it's, it's a definite um, diagnosis. So there's mm. lots of information available. And, um, yeah, it was a short phone call. Uh, and I think even now thinking, it, it felt numb. It didn't feel good that I had a diagnosis. I don't think it ever does. Only later that came in terms of feeling relieved that, okay, thank God, we don't want to be here, but at least we know a little yeah. bit about what we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, so I rang my husband at the time. He was at work and he came back straight away. And I just, yeah, I think like a lot of us, we just remember feeling just those weeks and months after, like just that numbness, that, that grief, that crying, the everything just falling from beneath you, I think. And then telling mm. Georgia, Georgia at the time, older sister, um, there's lots of resources on the, on the web, um, for telling siblings, like lots of coloring books. And, um, we have this really great book that showed potentially what it might look like for, for a sibling. 
Yes, yeah, so not a good feeling. I think in terms of any maybe positive feeling about getting a diagnosis, that, that came a lot later, I guess, yeah. when it meant that, yeah, we could get access to um, the early um, therapy that, that has made such a big difference now to date, that early intervention. And if she didn't have a diagnosis, she wouldn't have been able to get that as easy. So yeah. the positive was being able to be put in the system and to get the therapy and um, funding for therapy and funding for equipment that has really helped her to date, you know, from having it way back then. Mm. How did so, your how did your extended family handle the diagnosis? Did you have to really explain it to them? Even now, I find like we have to really explain it to parents. Um, I think I think there's my parents are definitely grieving that losing what they considered like a, a regular normal grandchild granddaughter. Yeah. Uh, Mark's parents. I'm only see his mum. Mum's obviously because we're divorced and it's quite mm-hmm. amicable between us. So both grandparents are still very much involved in both of our girls' lives. But I feel like I'm, I guess, to the parents, siblings, my brothers are really on board. They totally get it. Um, and they're partners and they've been an amazing sport. I guess I, my, myself personally, I don't see uh, Mark, Mark's Irish Mark. So he's got lots of mm-hmm. um, sisters and brothers here in Perth. Um, and they're all lovely, but I don't see them as much. At the time, yeah, they were very much on board um, in terms of, finding out about it and, and how they can help, how they should talk to Charlotte. And our thing was like, you know, she's just a regular kid. She just can't say and do all the things that um, at that time, none of them had kids. They all have kids now. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just, just talk to her normally because she understands. We just, she just can't respond in a regular way. So no, I think it was, it was hard for all of us because it's, it's not, everyone has to adjust. And yet not adjust because, you know, on one hand, I guess we're saying treat everything normally, but there's nothing normal about it. It's totally not normal. But yeah. you're wanting to, for her Charlotte not to miss out on, on I guess, the normal experience of, of family and friends, you know. So we still want, Mark and I still want people to talk to Charlotte because she's still like a nine-year-old mm-hmm. girl. So just talk to a, a nine-year-old yeah. girl, you know. I like to call it um, new normal. It's a new type of, yes. type of normal because you don't want to be like, we're, this is different and we're so different from you and look at us, we're unique. But you kind of want to rein that in and say, hey, look, no, we're still a regular family. We just have That's slight right. differences and everybody's got differences, but this just happens That's to right. be ours. And what can we do to make our sons and daughters give them a good life? with what they have yep. yeah. new normal i love that new yeah normal. i hadn't heard that normal. i like i like that yeah, yeah i'm gonna take that on board so you're now the primary carer to charlotte after the divorce from charlotte's dad about five years ago yep. so i met Correct. i imagine yep. that's been a, a big transition for everyone but especially in terms of caring for charlotte and also taking care of yourself so how have you handled the change in this in your family structure i think every day for me is still a juggle um and I keep on I'm complaining or whining, I'm not sure what the right word no. is, to friends saying, you know, can I just have like one day where I don't have to juggle something, whether it's finances, emotional management, uh, mine or the kids or someone else's therapy. Mm. It seems like it's a lot every day. And I think that's become more, not that Mark's not on board, and this is not about giving Mark a bad rap because I think just um, in divorces itself, I think, we actually are both trying to do the best that we can for Charlotte and Georgia. Mm. So it's not about giving a bad rap to Mark, but I always think, hang on, if I was married, whether it was with Mark or someone else, would it be easier? And I'm thinking maybe 
it will in one sense because I wouldn't feeling like I need to work um, to support financially just just doing stuff but mm. emotionally I think it would be the same because I think and regardless of special needs parenting I think mums just naturally take on that emotional management role but it's more so with um, having um, like a diagnosis like Rett syndrome because usually I find with Charlotte she's actually the one that's okay you know she's like getting through the day like as long as you know she's not unwell like as long as like we're eating like it's not too late if it's like you know five minutes later than her normal time we'll get the evil stairs we'll get like I'm angry I'm bored on the toby um you know if she's hot or cold like all those kind of basic needs or if she just wants to cuddle but normally if I can't physically be with her then she can be somewhere that she's watching me if I'm doing dinner or something like that so Mm. as long as all of those things are okay Deal, uh, managing Charlotte in that sense is actually okay, but it's the other people that that managing. That's that's the issue, you know. Georgia, I love her to death. She's thirteen, big teenager, you know. So yeah. I wasn't prepared for this. I just no. wasn't for this teenage stuff. So that's just thrown everything like up in the air, literally. So I just feel like every day is almost like trampolining a little bit, and I just really don't know how I'm going to land every day, but. Um, but in saying that, I'm just thinking, no, the emotional part of it, um, since the divorce has been, has been bigger for me because I feel like I've got, I mean, I've got, I've got friends and I've got family. I feel so grateful that I've got such a great supportive network, but it's nothing like having that one person every day that's there for you that you can just let off steam with. And I think, mm-hmm. and, um, I don't mind you saying this and I'm not saying anything bad about Mark. It's just in terms of the relationship itself, we did try and make it work. And mm. there was a point where we both realized that it just really wasn't working in terms of the best environment, emotional environment for the girls. Mm. Um, Cause obviously we were fighting so much um, and we knew that we couldn't keep that going. So in terms of emotionally managing all that stuff by myself now, it's hard. It's really, it's a wipeout, you know, and, and, I think being, I'm not sure what other, I think at this age, I always think if I was like 10 years younger or 10 years older, not going through all this hormonal craziness of this life, then yeah. maybe that would be easy. I'm always thinking of the other of the other angle. I'm like going, maybe it wouldn't be, maybe it would be exactly the same, I don't know. So I'm always trying to blame things on the hormones or not enough sleep or not enough exercise, not eating enough green stuff and all that kind of thing. But um. Mm. But I think it's really hard, the emotional management and just not having someone like me having to be the person that, is managing everyone else. So it's like, well, who manages, who helps me? Yeah. Like I've got friends and family to a certain level, mm. but just having an intimate partner um, to really just, that's got you back, you know, like it's, yeah. I miss that. And Mark and I did have that for quite a, the majority of our relationship, but even before we divorced, there was quite a few years beforehand, which included the diagnosis time of Charlotte, that things were already not very good. So no, it's huge, the emotional stuff. And I think there's only so much that you can go on autopilot with and only so much that you can manage every day. And I think it's funny that we're having this conversation now because I feel like in the last few months, the last five years has actually caught up with me this year for some reason, like in terms of the divorce, in terms of the Charlotte's diagnosis, because I think at the time, you know, when everything's kind of happening, you're just trying to, I remember at the time, everything being so busy, like in my head emotionally, and also physically and everything else, all the appointments and things like that, you know, but Charlotte is in a good school system, you know, mm-hmm. George's in high school, even though she's a teenager, Mark and the uh, divorce and the, because there's a thing about being divorced and then the financial settlement, the, the child settlement, that all takes time as well. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been probably, um, has been decided now for the last year or two. And in terms of 
Mark and I, how we do the transitions every time there's a drop off, that's all settled now as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of, everything's settled to a certain extent. So now I can now, yay, deal with everything that's been happening in the last <laughs> five years. Like, awesome, but not awesome. You know? no, so um, no. so no. it's big. Yeah, it's big. How do you think you're going to cope with all that stress now? Is there anything that you think that might help? Like some people go into exercise mode or, they, you know, they set up new goals for themselves. So how do you think you're going to handle all of, all of that? Yeah, I think this whole year, me realising that I'm kind of maybe dealing with the transition this year, I've realised that I really need to... Last year, what was working for me before things I felt like, not crashing, so to speak, but before I realised I was going through this process was... Mm. um. You know, I really, just the basic stuff. It's not rocket science. We all know what we need to do to feel to feel like we're managing out, because we can only manage ourselves like, in terms mm. of us being our best version. So um, like a great exercise program, which I was on, you know, I was doing kind of you know, very, very basic. I'm not a yoga master, very basic. <laughs> Neither am I. <laughs> in the morning yeah. and the night. And, um, you know, eating more green veggies, not overeating, because I'm definitely the most you want to eat up. Um, we're not, I'm not an alcoholic, but, you know, not drinking as much because I know that when people feel flat, it's something that, oh, yeah, let's just escape. But you're not really escaping from having a few drinks and you have to deal with yourself the next day in a flatter mode. So mm. just doing all that basic stuff, trying to have sleep, I'm not a good sleeper. So I found that this year because I haven't been doing um, those exercises and the yoga and the eating well, then I automatically fall into like, okay, let's never sleep. <laughs> like, let's just be yeah. up for hours and read and write and do kind of, because you kind of go like, oh, I'm fine now and I can do yeah. more now. And then you get into yeah. that pattern where you're like, okay. So I'm trying to get out of that even as we speak now. Um, I'm in kind of that zone of that's not, you know, not me being my best version in terms of looking after myself. So I think that's the hard thing when you, and that's what comes back to, not that I relied on Mark or a partner to do that, but having to step up just for yourself all the time. I think as a single parent, you you need to do that even more. Not that people that are married don't know of course it's it's up to yourself to do that all the time but I think you don't have anyone kind of whether you you, you uh relate better to like the army sergeant get, get up get up you know <laughs> let's get onto it let's get onto it or or um or just you know isn't it time for you to do yoga stretches you know those little gentle kind of things that that automatically happen in, in a good healthy partnership you know so yeah. and when I think of that it's like stop giving myself excuses just just do it you know get up and do your stretches because I know that I feel good after um, yeah so, you do yeah you feel really good after and it's not just that day it puts up it puts up it you're kind of almost investing in good mental health good physical health good emotional health for the next kind of three months if you have a really good system right now you know it just it builds mm -hmm. upon each other i don't know all this we all know this but we don't do it i don't do it enough so, no. <laughs> so it's about saying i've pulled back from my things being too busy I love being involved in lots of stuff and doing yeah. lots of stuff. And that's my kind of, I've been like that forever. So that hasn't stopped. And I think that that's just part of me. And I, and I love doing that, you know, because for me, with and without the kids. So when I, when I do have the kids, we try and go out as much as we can as, as a family. When I don't have the kids, I really try and really push myself to really go out. You know, I love dancing. I love live music. I love socializing with friends, making new friends. Um, so for me, that's a real energy thing for me. So, mm -hmm. and I love it. So I'm always trying to, and people are going, Oh my God, you must be so, and I said, I'm knackered, but you know, but I, I have to take advantage of this time so that I've got a few nights, you know, so let's, I don't have to go out every night. At one point I was, um, but, um, I like to go out and do that kind of stuff actually. And in talking about that, when we first did that first transition, mm -hmm. when Mark and I divorced, we separated obviously first, and then we divorced. 
and we were staying under the same roof, um, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone when you're separating, <laughs> divorcing for about six months. Wow. Because it's like, okay, you've made a decision not to be with each other because it's not working, but then you're still staying at the same Are house. you still there? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you still here? <laughs> so um, that was tricky. So when, when, when he got his own place and he moved down and we still going through all the financial and custody stuff, even though we'd agreed verbally, that was much better. But then all of a sudden, that, that, that the real transition of like dropping off the girls to Mark, not that I don't believe he can look after them, but mm. that was awful. Like I had this, yeah. um, I'll make a joke about it now. It was probably for at least a year, I think, um, that I did this. Like the first night that I dropped the girls off for that, because he basically has them for two and a half nights every week. Mm. Um, and then we split the holidays because he is a teacher. So mm. it works out to kind of 60, 40% care because of the school holidays. But I mean, mm. I go to all the appointments and I do all the other stuff mainly, you know, and they get to see his dad. So it's great that he's on board to be a dad still. Like, the girls still get to see him. When that first happened, um, I'd have this thing of, of dropping them off, not crying because we were very, always very good, even though we were killing each other behind the scenes in terms of managing, <laughs> trying to go through divorces at the time of transition, which I'm so glad that both of us did this. We're very civil and we're very diplomatic to each other and also mm. to the girls so that the girls were not exposed to that part of it. Mm. So I really respect like, that he, we both did that without even really making um, a decision about it. So that was mm. always good. And even now we don't raise any issues in front of them. Um, if it's something's heated, we'll always do it you know, in a text or an email or something like that. Also, because it's more accountable, we've got um, proof of it. Not that we've ever needed to show it to anyone. Um, but I used to go to drop off the girls because he always lived somewhere close. Go to IGA, um, pick up a bag of salt and vinegar chips, <laughs> oh. <laughs> pick up a Greek salad, and pick yeah. up um, a glass of uh, a bottle of Merlot. I won't disclose if the whole bottle got drunk or not. <laughs> on this podcast um and i would ta- and i'll do that every kind of thursday night you know so every thursday night i'll go and get that they must be laughing at me though i don't do it anymore but for at least <laughs> a year i did it um and um and i was just i was just crying doing it because i mm. dropped them off i'd like i'd let all that emotion out and i'll just be crying crying i'd, I'd get you know the, the chips the greek salad the great like sit down on this red recliner that i've got put something on netflix whatever it is i don't even remember what i was watching and just ate and drank and just kind of cried and just like, mm. going, oh, and then got up the next time and, and didn't do that every day, just that one Thursday. But I think that got me through that year until I realised I don't want to do that anymore. Can't because do it. I yeah. really not do that anymore. So I was just going to say, I mean, we all have a grieving process no matter what the event is. And um, it sounds like that was just the way that you coped. And, you yeah. know, maybe it's not healthy to be, you know, getting that... <laughs> Salt and vinegar chips out in every week. No, I do love salt and vinegar. They're my favorite and they're my go-to chip now. But I, you know, I think they're that's your that was your way to to cope with the stress of everything. And I mean, speaking about all of these things, I think it might be a really good opportunity if there are other mothers and fathers out there, or anybody that is going through this kind of stress, is to yeah. let them know that you know it's okay to grieve it's okay to do it yeah. in a healthy way obviously don't hurt yourself yeah. or hurt others no. but we all go through a grieving process and there's nothing Absolutely. to be ashamed about my point is at some point you are going to come out of that grieving process and you're yeah, going to absolutely. find healthy ways and better ways yes. to take care of yourself so yeah yeah if anybody is having a hard time you know 
reach out to and I did and I did do that I did replace that Thursday night with um you know I rejoined the gym again um at that time and I I was going crazy in the gym you know I was like a nut at that gym (laughs) but I was just like I was with the angry like angry angry. I always say I'm like an angry gym 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 junkie and um (laughs) And I had a trainer for a little while. She's going, you were so angry, but I love it because it's so passionate. I'm like, yeah, really? But that's how I'm like channeling it. I always felt better after, you know, always felt better after. Well, I do think that um, one of the ways to cope with stress, um, you know, whether it's divorce or whether it's the threat syndrome life um, is a physical activity. And for me, I am not anywhere near an athlete of any kind or sort. (laughs) But just getting back into yoga and Pilates regularly or just even going for a walk, doing something physical with your body can really help the stress levels and anxiety. So that's one thing that I would recommend to anybody is just like if you have all those emotions inside, yes, please talk about them, but also look at moving your body in a way that makes you happy, but also releases that kind of stress. So angry gym junkie, you know, Pilates, whatever you want to do, get to it and you'll see the benefit from it. No, it's huge. And I think, yeah, coming back, I mean, before I went to the gym, I think my my older brother of the two is um, quite, he's into his um, Tai Chi and things like that. And he's he kind of trained, he's a trainer now. He trains people in it. So he, he believes in that. And he, when I was going through all this, when it was really, really intense and, you know, just emotional all the time. And he just goes, look, you really just need to get outside. Even if you don't walk, even if you do nothing, just go outside and just give yourself the circuit breaker because you're just drenched Mm -hmm. in everything that's happening. And it's, yeah. And like you said, it's not going to be like this all the time, but Mm -hmm. it is right now. So you need, you need to look up, love yourself a bit more and just have that breather. And I started small. Like I didn't just go straight away from not being, I was never a gym person 20 years ago. I was mm. laughing at myself thinking, oh, 20 years time, you're going to be going to the gym and you're going to be doing <laughs> all these like crazy runs and mud and like, I'll be going, no, don't be ridiculous. I would never do that. But you know, but then I am. And, but I started small, you know, like I did go for a walk around the block, you know, and, mm. and I um, thought this is ridiculous going for a walk around the block, like whatever. Yeah. But then something happens, like you feel better and then you think of, oh, how, how can I make this a bit more interesting, a bit more challenging? Then you start walking longer. Then you maybe start jogging for a minute, walking for a minute. And mm. then you sweat a bit more and then you can't breathe and you want to kill everyone you yes. know, during that time. Or you're going to be sick and you, you want to sit better. down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then you feel amazing after. You just feel like, yes, like, and you release something. It's a real... Um, uh, yeah, it's the release. It's so a release. What, whatever you can Huge. do. Like, I'm again, I'm not a runner. I hate running, but yoga and pilates and even dancing as silly as that sounds i am a mum that dances in the lounge room just quietly just sharing it quietly with the podcast that has been a really (laughs) good stress release for me and it's worked for my anxiety because it gets your mind off all the things that you're doing and you've got to focus on breathing and getting the steps right yes i would imagine that's the the thing yeah yeah i think naturally when we're not when we're stressed and i find this you just naturally just don't breathe for me, singing. Yeah. I've started singing again, which oh. I've always loved. And that's really helped me. That's a huge circuit breaker. The girls love me singing, whether I sing well or not to them. <laughs> Charlotte actually loves me singing. Um, we, we've had some killer moments, you know, in the house, dinner, you know, multiple meltdown moments during dinner, Georgia, me, Charlotte, whatever it is. And I'll just go, you know what? My thing is like, I'm just going to put on a song or I'm going to start singing. And it usually just settles us all, you know, um, and it's always, and, you know, 
like a lot of our kids, we'll do anything to get that killer smile from our girls. Mm-hmm. So usually mm-hmm. if I sing one of the songs, and I know straight away if it's a good song for Charlotte, she'll either give me death look or a killer smile. <laughs> so I know I'm on the right track. And it's always worth it saying that as well because she loves, yeah, I think a lot of our girls love music. They, they love do songs. love music. Yeah, any kind of music in our household, especially what is it at the moment? It's the Wiggles and yoga. Well, Jovi's love Yo Gabba Gabba for since, since she was a yeah, baby. So, you know, yeah, 10 years. Charlotte doesn't really, yeah, love that as much now. But I remember, yeah, I remember um, Charlotte sharing that love of Yo Gabba Gabba, but I'm not sure why she didn't like it anymore. But, yeah, no, just being, just being outside in general. I mean, we all feel better outside, you know, just not being around the walls. I, I don't think it's just mm-hmm. an auditory thing. It's just I think it's just an energy thing as well. She's always, even when she was going through those aggressive stages when she was young, she always used to love the only thing, because she was kind of, Charlotte had a lot of screaming. She had that screaming thing happen for a few months. Yeah. Um, which I've heard some girls do in that kind of... Um, I guess progressive period yeah. um, and she would just be screaming. So at that time, the only thing that would stop her screaming when she was awake was being outside. If it's windy to see the trees and, um, and Justine Clark, we had to just, oh. we just, and I actually remember at the time, I hope that Charlotte, we don't just have Justine Clark for the next hundred years. Cause like, even though I love Justine and if Justine, we love Justine, you, Justine, <laughs> but not for the next 20 years is the only thing. And I'm glad she, she still loves Justine, but she likes other stuff now as well. So. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you say the wind because Joby loves the wind too. Um, yeah. you take her outside. She loves that feeling. It must be a sensory yes, input. Sensation. Yeah. yeah. I always know that to start again, like in terms of good habits, you just have to keep starting and I know I'll get there mm-hmm. right now. I'm not in that process of maintaining it very well still, but I just have to keep trying. Something always seems to put me off course with starting again in terms of the yoga. I used to have this really great, and I'm trying to carve this out still in my day. I had this really great space of in the morning, I'll get up even like 15 minutes before, you know, and have a few, because you only need five minutes for it to make such a big difference for the rest of your day or even to sleep better. Five minutes of yoga in the morning, five minutes of yoga at night. And then if I could try and put in a a gym thing or a walk, we've got a treadmill now. Um, it just makes a big difference. So I'm still carving out that thing. And yeah. writing, journal writing is a good thing if I can do that as well. Yeah, that's a good one. I've, I've started to journal write a little bit, but I'm not really great with it. Uh, so one of the quotes that I really love at the moment is, you'll never always be motivated, so you need to learn to be disciplined. So yes, that's how I kind of get myself going on something because some you wake up one day and you know your body hurts and everything hurts and you're like I don't want to do some Pilates or yoga and I'm not going to go for a walk but if you just remember why you're doing it rather than relying on how you feel in that moment yeah no you can't just get it started and just get it done yeah because you don't feel most of the time you don't feel motivated you might feel motivated maybe for a minute in a day period, if maybe longer in a day, but not every day. So it's just like, it's not about, do I feel like it? Do I want to do it? Yeah. No, you don't want to do it. You don't feel like it, but are you going to do it? Yes, I'm still going to do it. You know, yeah. So because you know, you feel better later or tomorrow. Yeah. Charlotte has a big sister, Georgia. What's their, re- yes. what's their relationship like? Uh, because Georgia is a teenager now, it's a little bit, we don't see Georgia as much. It's more like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's go over to Georgia's room, Charlotte, and tap her on the door and see if she'll let us come in or if we've made an appointment. <laughs> um, and usually Georgia will very begrudgingly open the door, only because it's Charlotte. If it was me, no chance. But because it's Charlotte, she'll open the door and give Charlotte a cuddle, let Charlotte come and hang out on her room for a minute, 
and she will lower the volume of her music for Charlotte. Yeah. And then we'll stay there for a few minutes and then, and then we'll hop out. Or Georgia will go, get get lost, mum. I'm just going to have some time with Charlotte. And then she'll bring, because Charlotte can walk, assisted. Mm. Um, she does drop a lot of the time. So there's always some, like, I call it security walking. I try yeah. not to have, I probably should have a helmet on more, but I don't because I like to just be able to walk. And if we're, we're, when someone's going to catch her, then I like doing that as well so quite often she will just hang out with georgia for a minute in georgia's teenage bedroom with posters on the wall and very messy very stinky i don't like being in there but charlotte loves being in there because <laughs> um so i think i I'm, I'm really grateful that charlotte and georgia have this relationship because i know it can go either way and i think from when they were very little i always kept georgia very included in the process of whatever I, whatever i was dealing with and whatever mm-hmm. i was learning and keeping georgia on board with that whether it was the pod whether it was the toby exercises i mean because for me we we're talking about habits of self-care and that before in terms of being a parent but in terms of charlotte's therapy stuff and you i'm assuming you probably do this as well a lot of us do it is that it's not just, you know, for the one hour a week of therapy. It's every time she stands, every time she sits down, every time she sits. So it's all these things that it's every time. So I've tried to include Georgia in that. Even before I knew that I was going to separate and divorce. And I'm glad I did because even when she's over at her dad's, I guess I do rely on her to mm. um, be the advocate there for Charlotte um, more than that because because mm. um, I'm not there. Mm. And she does naturally fall into that role. Maybe too heavily, um, but I think it's for Charlotte's benefit. And I think, and I just told Georgia this the other day because Georgia is at that year of that age where she's thinking what she's going to do when she's older. And she's going through all those questions about who she is and what she's doing and that she thinks she's not good at anything and that kind of thing, that that horrible place sometimes <laughs> mentally right when we're 13. Yeah. That hopefully some of us grow out of, some of us don't grow out of it. But, um, but yeah, and I just said, look, you know, some of your strengths that I've seen of you, apart from me loving you and being biased and thinking you're amazing, blah, 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 is that um, you're an amazing advocate for your sister. You know, you like not just go, oh, of course I'm going to love her. She's my sister. So for her, it's just normal to love her sister, which I love. That's so yeah. great. But I'm like going, but I said, but Georgia, not everyone, not everyone that's got a special needs um, or, you know, sister or brother that's got something, you know, not, they're not in the normal category, not, mm. not every, and she's like going, what do you mean? I'm like going, I just don't want to deal with it. She's going, but that's family. And I'm like going, that comes naturally to you. Cause I think mm. in your dad's family and my family, we do have a culture of family um, and being inclusive and, and accepting everyone. But that's, that's not, that's not everyone. Not everyone thinks like that. Um, and she felt a bit, I think she looked like she was a bit sad about that. I said, well, one of your strengths is that you're great with, you're great with kids in general because Mark's family have got quite a few, um, it's quite a few kids on, mm. on with his sisters, um, the nieces, the nephews. So Charlotte is around a lot of younger cousins on his side and I've got two um, nieces on my side. Um, and Georgia's great with all of them and she's always naturally advocating um you know, to ha- make she reminds me actually if I go out without the Toby or the Pod, Mum, where's Charlotte can't speak? What's going on? I'm like going, oh, no, it's raining at my cottage. So I was just going, Mum, like, where is it? I'm like, so it's just like she oh. reminds me to do that. And I had to go to the Agoshi conference to be reminded again to like, you know, have that. I just get security conscious and like temperature conscious that the Toby's going to break or fall or get wet. Yeah. So I don't have it on around all the time. So I had to go to a conference for three days to be reminded of something that I already know. And I came back and told Georgia, oh, you know what? She's going, Mum, I'll tell you that every day. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. yeah thanks. <laughs> thanks, Georgia. <laughs> so I think, um, I mean, yeah, there was a time, the uh, Fairbridge um, concert uh, music festival that we go to every year. Mm. 
so it was two years ago we went, I think we had a gap, or maybe three years ago. Anyway, in the last few years, we've gone quite a few times, not every year. And one year we went and we were there one night. I think that night we weren't seeing Mark that night because I think he volunteers as well. So he's a volunteer's MCs at the festival. So he, he didn't have see the girls that night. So it meant that it was the first night we got there. We set up, we, we had a walk around. I always try, one of these things about the concert that I love doing as well for Charlotte and Georgia is that we're out in the community. Um, we don't have to drive anywhere so we can, I'm not going to get tired from driving. Um, you know, I've got everything on me in terms of meds, in terms of food, all that kind of thing, all in the backpack, um, wheeling her around. This, um, there's lots of different um, stages at this venue, but probably about five. Most of them are wheelchair accessible because it's just kind of out like in a bush kind of natural setting. So that's mm. a win it straight away because it's outside. Charlotte loves lights. So even if she's tired, she'll just still peek up and look at all the beautiful fairy lights. And there's lots of lights um, mm. there, which she always loves apart from the music. So just generally it's a win-win kind of environment. I stretched her. I like stretching her at these. This is for me a good time. I'm in a relaxed state. We don't have to be anywhere specifically, but I like trying to stretch her out. Not just she doesn't crash at 6.30 usually. She crashes at 6.30. It's a real struggle to get her up beyond 6.30. So I try and stretch her to eight at these festivals. My little way of getting her stretched out a little bit more um, just so that she can be part of the night stuff, you know, just in general. Because a lot, as we know, a lot of things happen at dinner time, but I just find yeah. that Charlotte can't enjoy those things as a family in the community. So this is my once a year I try and stretch it without the schedule of school the next day and blah, blah, blah. Mm. So um, so I might have stretched it to maybe 8 o'clock that first night, which I, I was pretty proud of and proud of her. And I thought, yeah, great. It was a great win. We saw, we saw quite a few um, bands after dinner. Um, and where we, where we set up camp, it's right near one of the concert venues deliberately. So even though if we can't be there till midnight, we can at least hear it still. And it's always yeah. great. We always love all the different music. So we came back to camp. We were tired. That was the day that we got up early, set up the camp, walked around. It would be a big day of walking. So we're all a bit tired. How tired, I didn't realise until I had this conversation with Georgia. So we're lying in bed. Charlotte was completely knocked out. And um, she's like going, oh, I really wanted to stay out. This is Georgia. I really wanted to stay out. It's so unfair that Charlotte's got Rett syndrome and we have to come back to camp. And I, oh, it's just awful. Like We could be out there still if Charlotte didn't have Rett syndrome. Georgia was completely hysterical. She was like screaming. She was shouting. Oh. I felt, I'm laughing about it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. It was all high emotion and drama. And I was just crying because I was trying to like go, okay, Caroline, this is like in a dark intent. Okay, say something that's that's motivating and that's <laughs> like a mother and, and like really, and I just couldn't even talk because I was, I felt so guilty and terrible. So like, what have I, in my head, I was thinking, what have I done? I've dragged them out to a concert. We can't even be at the concert. We can only hear the concert. We might as well be at home. Why do I bother doing this? You know? And then I was about to say something and I did say it. And I said, look, Georgia, I said, we've got this challenge of being a special needs family. Um, I'm trying to stretch all of us out, you know, in this, in this, it's difficult. It's a hard zone. But, you know, I'm thinking I'm, my best is, is trying to bring you out till 8 o'clock at night. I can't do beyond that because, yeah, that is our situation. Yeah, it's crap. We can't stay out to midnight. Yeah, it's crap that we have to come back early. We can only hear the concert and we can't be there because she was having such a great time at the last um, thing that we went to. Like she was yeah. walking around, like the music and stuff, and she was loving it. She did not want to go um, at, at 8 o'clock. And, um, and I had this long and I extended on that spiel and I was emotional. I was crying. And then all of, she hadn't responded. So I'm thinking... 
And then all of a sudden I hear her snoring. So what happened? <laughs> she had like this emotional, no. like hysterical outburst and then just went to bed. Like didn't hear anything that I said. And then, they, and I was, then I was just laughing like because I'd, I'd said all this stuff and I was crying realised that she didn't hear any of it. Um, obviously I, I said it for myself at least to feel okay about what I'd done and what I'd achieved hopefully for us and the next day I'm like going hey hang on a bit do you hear anything that I said like the next morning she's going what are you talking about I'm like going you had this huge emotional outburst you were carrying on about everything did you hear what I said she's going she's going what so she remembers half of what she said and she didn't hear anything of what I said so I had her during the day and she was like mum she's going I just really wanted to say out later and I'm like going yeah I know she's going she's going I hated that you know that we can't do stuff like other, we always have to have like a plan B because that's what we've always done with Charlotte. Mm, mm-hmm. We've always had like a plan B, even when we were together, Mark and I, it's just like, because um, when we first got the dinosaur, we can't go anywhere because at that time, Charlotte was, this is a before school. So mm. in, public, in public spaces, like I guess more on the, people always explain it to me is being like more on that autistic side of behaviours, like it's just too overwhelming. Um, yep. so, always even now have an iPad with us so that Charlotte can at least visually focus on something else if everything else is too much. Mm. So we've always got, I guess, a plan B of an iPad in us, but usually if something's too overwhelming, we've probably got an hour. And after an hour, even with an iPad, we have to go. We just do our best in an hour and we just leave if it's mm-hmm. like a really intense, overwhelming. And I guess for me, that's actually um, some of my family have said, but you've become like that now, Caroline. Like you can't take things more for an hour. I said, no, I can't because I'm focused focused on like being so concerned about Georgia and Charlotte where we're at that after that hour of being intensely like yep. focused I'm exhausted like I have to get yeah. out of there myself yeah. you know so I'm, I've kind of become like that as well so to a certain speak uh, to a certain sense but um so Georgia's really good with it I think I mean every now and then like that camping thing it flares up but at the end mm-hmm. her now being a teenager I thought it's gonna flare up again because mm-hmm. I'm just trying to, th- I always try and think back if I was 13 and, and one of my siblings had a special, like a situation, like special needs, like how would I be? Would I be mm. embarrassed? Would I be feeling ashamed or guilty or, or feeling like that's going to be a problem with my friendship base and things like that? And I always think hopefully I wouldn't feel like that, but I really don't know how it would have been. So I'm always trying to think of that from her perspective and some of her old friends totally love Charlotte and always ask her, but she's made a whole lot of new friends this year. I think mm. she's just stepping away from the old friends, trying to establish herself with new, newer friends, newer interests. And some of them don't know about Charlotte having Rett syndrome. And some of them don't know the extra challenges that she has. And I think when that first started with her going through all these changes at the start, I thought, is she ashamed or is she feeling upset? And I'm just thinking, no, I mean, she's just being a teenager and she's just obsessed with her friends and her, she's not yeah. trying to not, cause I think when she was younger, it was like me and maybe me myself as well on this kind of journey. Like I was like, make everyone aware, awareness, awareness, awareness that mm-hmm. people know, not for a charity, but just kind of an understanding if we can't go to things or it's just like, it doesn't have to be that aggressive anymore. And she's, Georgia's just being 13 and she's, she's got a sister and she loves Charlotte. And I know that she knows that Charlotte knows that. It doesn't mean she's to tell everyone and advocate it. It will come up if it comes up. And, and I've heard her, like, she's had friend, new friends come over and, I mean, most 13-year-olds aren't going to talk about their siblings. 
I'm not going to say I've got two brothers. One's got one arm, one's got two. You know, the job. He's got crazy. brown they're hair. Not, they're not, yeah, yeah. They're not going to say stuff. They're just going to like, oh yeah, I've got I've got brothers and sisters. Like whatever. They're just not. It's just it's not going to even write anywhere on the radar. It's more about what they're talking about. So I'm always reminded of the fact that you know George is still a 13 year old. So the fact that Charlotte's got Rett syndrome, it doesn't have to come into everything. I mean, that's no. just that's just our environment. That's just our landscape. That's our family, and it's always that that funny kind of mix of like, let's not do the pity train, but let's make people aware. And I think there's a real gray area with that because it's hard to navigate that even now being a few years in this journey still, it's just like, well, so what am I doing with it? Am I letting people know? Am I saying too much? You know, um, because obviously I'm meeting new new family, new parents from Georgia's new friends and, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll come in and they'll go, or they'll say, well, can you come in and have a cup of coffee on a drop of chart? Georgia, I said, look, I can't, I've I've got my my daughter in the car, I'll bring her in. It's like, oh, because I don't usually go in because the case of getting wheelchairs out, getting shuttled out, usually she's knackered in the afternoon. We'll go in there for two seconds, we'll have to go. I'm usually physically tired. Mm -hmm. So I usually don't go to those kind of coffee, come in and meet the new parent. I'll just use it and I'll do a quick spiel of like, um, look, I've got my, my youngest daughter's in the car. She has got special needs. She's just really knackered. We just, I'll just, if you don't mind, maybe next time you drop Georgia off, you come in and see me. That's yeah. actually easier for me. And I just, I'm just pretty basic. Like I'm not rude. And you know, and they're, and they, it's amazing that people are actually okay with it if you just are honest with stuff like that. Yeah. So with Georgia, I think I always, uh, I'm always grateful that she's, um, it's a good relationship. I, I feel, and I don't think it's one that's going to. Um, end or anything with 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 i mean i think we just see less of georgia but that's her age and she's still mm. there was a time where she used to feel guilty going out for sleepovers especially when she was at her dad's house because it meant that she wasn't there with charlotte as much yeah. and she came to me this was probably two years ago and she said mom i'm feeling really bad because you know Char- i know charlotte really likes me being there when um because you know dad doesn't speak to charlotte as much as you do being mum and stuff and i said yeah that's that I get that. She's going, but then after, now I feel guilty that I'm not there. I said, look, Georgia, I said, Charlotte would not want you not to go to your friend's house. You need to have your friends. And Charlotte would love to have friends as well and go over to there, but she's not in that place to be able to do that at the moment. But I mean, you wouldn't want her not to go out because she'd feel bad about it. So you need to just do your thing, you know, and we all know that you love Charlotte and you're not trying to, and, and you, maybe this, yeah. And if it is a break from Charlotte or, apart but that's fine as well like it's all good so we just all need to do what we need to do we know that you love charlotte charlotte knows that you love us so um so i think those kinds of things will come up more but the more thing is the future thing i think if i was going to tell any parent in terms of a diagnosis and i haven't really quite sorted this out for myself yet i'm not sure where everyone else is with this but obviously there's that real concern about dying before Mm. your daughter dies with Rett syndrome and it's like you don't want that burden financial and emotional to come on your other children and that's mm. something still very much in my mind it's like well how i haven't organized that yet how am i going to organize that um and mark and i you know we have mentioned it a few times we need to talk about it. i remember the last rec conference they had that um one of the speakers they had about talking about wills and financial planning and stuff like that i need to do that i haven't really done that but not even just for charlotte but for georgia well for georgia so she doesn't have to worry and i and i always say to her not that she's brought it up but i've said to her more than one occasion i said when we've talked about the future you know in terms of where charlotte's going to be living and i'm assuming she's going to be with me as the prime and that that that's totally 
fine in terms of, I was thinking oh yeah we'll go on like um we'll get a caravan and go around Australia and do trips mm-hmm. and but you know when she's older and out of school and stuff like that and um and Georgia goes on oh, then I'll come and visit um and then you know are you guys going to have a room for me and I'm like going well yeah what do you mean are we going to have a room of course we'll always have a room for you if you want to come and visit so I think only now she's realizing she, it's okay but I think before she felt like oh I'm going to leave and it's going to be all weird and because it's just going to be you and Charlotte, you know, kind of not rotting away somewhere, but she just kind of, it seemed a bit sad for her that she was kind of thinking about that life for us. I'm like going, but we're good. Like I just want you, I was always reminding Georgia and not so much this year because she's in a different zone, but I felt it really important to remind her she can still go out and have her life and her doing what a regular girl her age would be doing is not harming Charlotte. It's not harming me or, or her dad. She just has to go and live a life. But that's, I think that's really hard for her to, that was a hard concept for her to, to get, I think, and to be okay about it mm. because she felt guilty and she felt bad about it when she was younger um, in terms of like, oh, Charlotte doesn't have any friends coming over. Charlotte can't go to, go to a sleepover. So I think, I don't know if Georgia's naturally quite empathetic or, or that's become more so with having a sister, um, her sister, Charlotte. Yeah. Um, but I'm, even though those feelings and, and that, I guess, um, concern is, you know, you don't want your kids to have to deal with these big emotions. You, you know, you want to protect them, but you can't. These things are going to come up. Um, I'm really glad that she's that way and not the other way in terms of being ashamed or, or not wanting to come on board and just like, yeah, mm. you know, I'm not. So it's, yeah. um, I feel grateful that, Char- that Georgia's who she is for, for her sake and for Charlotte's sake and for all of our sakes. Yeah, I think um, the sibling talk is like a huge conversation because for a lot of us, the siblings are still quite young and you have to keep things really age appropriate and not doom and gloom for them because we we don't know what's going to happen in the future. No. We hope that we are preparing them enough that one they might need to make some big decisions for their sibling, for their sister or their, their brother with Rett syndrome, um, which is a shame. Um, but unfortunately that's just something that mm. we have to deal with given this Rett syndrome diagnosis. But I think it's also really important, like you've said, to let the siblings know that they have, uh, you know, their own lives to lead to. They're still them. They're still individual and they should feel free to, do things like sleepovers and to do things that they're interested in and um, not feel guilty of, yeah, for their Rett syndrome sibling because I think that would be a shame, a really great shame. But there's a there's so much emotion around it that how do you how do you start to navigate that with the siblings? Yeah, really really hard. And like you said before, not everybody comes around to the idea and is comfortable with talking about Rett syndrome or their or their Rett syndrome sibling because it's for me a, a bit of a personal story like my older son is 12 now and he has had a harder time sh- I think sharing the fact that he actually has a sister whereas my younger 6-year-old that's all he's known. That's all he's known his sister to be. So he, mm. we can see a little bit of differences on how they relate to, to Jovi, um, which is fine because we, you know, my husband and I don't push a relationship. You know, you must sit with your sister and you must learn how to do this, you know, because sure. again, age yeah. appropriate. And yeah. um, it's, we want the relationship to happen organically and naturally rather than mm. a matter of, 
Right now, yes. you need to learn how to be a carer because one day I'm going to die and you're going to have to do it. I mean, that's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Maybe that as adults, that's what we need to prepare um, ourselves for. But for the yes. kids, I think it's, it's different. And so you re- really need to keep it age appropriate and um, not so, yeah, not so scary, not so doom and gloom because again they're their own people and we hope that they're going to grow up to be strong individuals with their own passions and their own pursuits um without having that that burden over their head that they're they've got a Rett syndrome um sibling and they're going to be a carer just like their parents were um Mm. i think that'd be a real shame to bring them up that way but yeah it is what it is so oh we could talk about that for (laughs) forever you know and it's it's a hard topic to talk about no, There's a lot of hard topics to talk about when it comes to Rett syndrome, but. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to add to that what you said, because we, you know, the Yagoshi conference was just recently in Perth and that was a good opportunity apart from the actual conference, but actually socializing with some other Rett families local. And also there's a few families that came over interstate. So it was really mm. great to, you know, meet the mums and meet the other girls and meet siblings. And we had, did have a get together. I posted some photos about it with Helen and Jenny and I organized it, which was great. Yeah. And I dragged Georgia along to this and she really didn't want to go, but I wanted her to go and I talked to her about this later. And she was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe. Because one of the girls had an older sister there who was in her twenties. And I just wanted Georgia to say quite often she's saying, um, our Rett syndrome get-togethers um, or even just other kids with special needs, like the the, the siblings have been younger than Georgia. Yeah. So that hasn't really, and she's already been in that site. So she knows what that is. But I wanted her to go to this one in particular because there were siblings that were in their 20s so on the other side of her age to kind of mm. get the idea that, yeah, like they've they've got a Rett syndrome sister as well. And, you mm. know, they're, they're in their 20s and they're living their life and there's still a lot of love and care and they're a great advocate for their sister, but they've got their own life. And I really wanted... Georgia to say that and that they're not they're not all doom and gloom and that they get they get because one of the girls um you know she's going traveling she's going to the states like in a few weeks and I really wanted Georgia to say that I thought it was important for her to say that and that that parent um that family you know there's not as many in that family um like in my Mm -hmm. family in terms Mm -hmm. of the support so the siblings are important in that family like they are with Charlotte so for me it was really important for her to say that you know this old, uh, the girl that's in her 20s also got a um, sister with Rett syndrome is living a life about to go and Georgia just loved to go to America so it was like yeah. yes perfect for her to yeah. see that somebody in the 20s got a sister with Rett syndrome still doing her dream of going to America so um, I don't think it really resonated with her at the time because she was just in that like I don't care about I don't want to go to these events you know la 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 yeah. but hopefully that will be in, it's planted a seed at least you know I've given her that seed so hopefully that will germinate at some point um, for her to say, look, yeah, I can still do stuff because I've met other families with um, that are older on the other side of my age and that they, they still do their stuff. So mm. that was important for me to expose it to that, I think. When Georgia was a baby, she had some chronic health issues. Um, so she needed some, she had some kidney issues. Um, she had to have some um, surgery at one and a half years old. Um, so she had that and that corrected that. And then when she was a bit older, she had some massive ear issues at four so then she was she had her you know the whole ear ENT kind of experience at four um and then she had kind of routine checks every year and then obviously by this time Charlotte was born and diagnosed and stuff like that so Mark and I kind of kept a, a um an eye on her ear situation I guess but probably not enough because and this is what's happened in the last year I don't know how to say this without being 
I can't just come out So basically, Mark and I have neglected Georgia yeah. so much so that she's got a chronic ear problem. Mm. Sorry, I don't want to cry about it. Take a breath. And it's okay. Okay. Take so much so that, you know, I felt quite bad with the specialist saying basically, he basically said, look, Georgia's, she's got a really bad ear issue. Mm. And, um, why hasn't why hasn't she come earlier? And um, because you know this is not this is not okay basically. And I needed to be told that. I needed to be reminded because um, Georgia's thirteen. And really, since the last so what's happened is that since the last time that we checked it up with a different ANT, and Georgia was six, and this is a six year seven years actually, mm. awful. Um, and I guess what I want people to hear is that don't neglect your other kids even though it's like a basic thing like an ear issue because I thought Georgia was okay but I wasn't I wasn't asking her about her ears I'm expecting her as a six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen year old to come and tell me she's got ear issues and not checking in with her as much because obviously all that checking in process goes on more with your child with red syndrome or any other yeah. special needs not with the other kids that you know, aren't supposed to have chronic chronic health issues, but they do and it happens. So a big reminder for me is like, okay, I've, thank goodness it wasn't anything more serious than an ear issue and um, and I didn't want to neglect Georgia and I'm sure Mark no. didn't either. But no. in the process of special needs parenting and obviously going through a divorce and separation, unfortunately, that scenario, Georgia, Georgia's situation got pushed to the side and... I just, I want people to learn from that experience, I guess. And just, um, yeah, just be reminded that just check in with your other kids because they might be okay, but maybe they're not. So just, yeah. So um, we're dealing with that now. So I've, well, obviously clearly I haven't got over my guilt about it still, but I'm feeling a bit raw about that. But mm. um, so basically what's happened is that she could have, we, I, I had, the thing is that I had referrals for a new ENT for years um, every time we went back to the GP, um, because the ear used to kind of flare up every year, they'd say, look, you really need to go and see the ENT. Yep, definitely. We got the ear in- infection, it cleared the infection, so we just basically didn't go back because yeah. the, the ear drops that we were getting was fixing the problem temporarily. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but that wasn't enough. So for years, Mark and I, me being the primary carer, I should have done it, hadn't gone. So I'm the one that did take her in the last few months. And, and this new ENT guy, I'm glad that we've got him because also the last ENT person that we had for Georgia, he just really wasn't saying anything. He was, Which is why I was trying to search for a new ENT. He said, look, you know, just come back and we'll get more grommets. And the grommets just weren't helping. Mm. And they said she'd grow out of it. She wasn't growing out of it. And I think we thought she would grow out of it, but she wasn't. So um, we're on a priority line for... um corrective surgery for George's ears and um and the eardrops that um we've got now yeah basically George's needs to let us know as soon as possible when um so it's a thing it's I think it's a communication thing for Georgia as well like through the ENT me and Mark it's like anything starts happening with the ear doesn't matter if I'm busy doesn't matter if I'm emotional hold me and just say look it's starting again mum I need the eardrops just be very clear I'm sorry that you have to remind me to do that but Mm. you need to because we need to step on it straight away so I think from all of this, just a reminder, and I, I haven't done a post about it, and I really do because I think it's an important one that, yeah, you know, just check in with the other kids because you think they're okay, but, but maybe and not to be paranoid about it, but it, it's just so easy to put 
your regular kids on the side because you think, oh, hang on, everything you needs to be okay. more focus. Yeah. You know, and, and they do because, you know, our old Charlotte, you know, she can't feed herself. She can't go to the toilet. Um, she needs a communication um, partner, whether it's the pod or, or the Toby to be set up. She needs constant monitoring mm. all the time. And that's the thing about Rhett syndrome. It's the constant 24-7 monitoring that's happening now, that has happened, that will continue to happen. But, you know, there are still other children in, in my life that I need to some part out of that 24 7 it needs to be on georgia as well you know yeah she's still 13 she's still a kid she still needs not just the basic doctor stuff but all the emotional stuff as well that you know i'm trying to do but for me this was a big wake-up call because it's like what other stuff have i neglected with georgia i need to i need to kind of review that so i think that's a good reminder for me and it's a good reminder for everyone else to kind of yeah of course we're all doing our best we're all doing our best but just maybe check in with your other kids a bit more because i thought I was and I clearly hadn't so yeah well to share that it's probably I hope sorry that I got so emotional doing it no no it, it is an emotional thing and I thank you for sharing it I think what's important here is that for you to know that you didn't do that on purpose um oh, I don't think we don't yeah, do these things on I purpose know. um but also it can swing the other way because in I can't I mean while I can't relate specifically to your story my story would be that I get over anxious about things with my other kids um especially with my older son and his allergies. I overdo it when he's actually fine. So there needs to be that balance as, just as a mother, as, as a parent, that you yeah. are checking in with each of your children and what they need yeah, because right. it, it is really easy then, to even forget yeah. about yourself when things get really hectic. It's so easy to forget about each individual person in your family and, you know, including yeah. yourself. So you didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> I, oh, and, no. and the, guilt, the guilt will always be there. It's, you know, yeah. no matter what it is, but the, for the fact of the matter that you are on it now. Yeah. That's great. That's what you should focus on, on things that you can. And, and apologize to now. Georgia. And, um, mm. you know, we've come out the other side of it, but like after that appointment with that ENT guy, she said, mum, that ENT guy, he hates you. <laughs> He totally does hate me. She's, I'm like, going, I Georgia, I said, look, I'm so sorry that I didn't. She's going, but I did tell you, but I guess I didn't really um, tell you enough, you know, because I just kind of got used to it. It's like, I just don't want you to ever get used to anything again. Yeah. Like, if I'm not hearing you or if you're telling me, because I think, I mean, kids and, and partners, um, when, you know, Mark and I were together, people always come and tell, I think the mums, the, you know, usually kind of the, the you know, the, the core point of, of families usually. Um, in terms of social needs parenting even more so as well and people are always kind of trying to tell you stuff at a time where you can't actually listen or do anything about it since your diagnosis has it been a resource or a group or something that has really helped you along the way with Rett syndrome definitely um Helen Leonard has been amazing with getting me in contact with local mums right from the start um mm. another family got diagnosed two weeks after Charlotte um, and that was kind of horrible but good as well that we were so close and I probably don't see them as much now but as we all know all these relationships with the early diagnosis days change mm. just across the board so that was she was a great local resource to have um, apart from just chatting putting me in contact with 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 other parents so I think straight away I mean my usual thing I've realized I didn't realize this about me was that you know some people hide away and don't find anything I'm the opposite <laughs> like okay who else has got red syndrome where are they I want to yeah. see them straight away you know talk to them and stuff like that so I was on a mission to find local families straight away which is what I did so that was fantastic 
I did join the, there was an online, I don't know if you're, no, I think I saw you from there. That is it the ANZ or it's like a RET online group. Um, it's not there anymore, but it was kind yeah. of through Google, I, not Google. It was through oh, some other. Oh gosh. This was way Remember back. That? Way back. Yeah. Yahoo group. That was, yeah. The Yahoo group. That's right. So that was that was that was good um, at at the start as well in terms of posting some initial questions. I think I think I chatted to you a little bit on that as well because of similar yep. ages with Jovi and Charlotte. Yep. Um, that was really good. I think reaching out to like people like you. I think I reached out to um, Elizabeth as well because of the, all of our girls being the similar age mm-hmm. and having a diagnosis around the same time as well, mm-hmm. um, and just asking some questions. And I do actually remember. So for me, reaching out to people online was a huge thing um locally meeting up with some parents was good in that initial diagnosis period and i'm remembering something that that you said actually that was very helpful um you said because i got the book you know from kathy hunter that's the bible the red bible Bible. supposed to get Yeah. yeah So I got that straight away and I remember being quite overwhelmed with it and posting it must've been on that answer. And you responded and you said, look, don't read the whole book <laughs> like tonight. I don't know. You want to do it. She goes, resist that temptation. Do not do it. Just read what you need to read. It's not going anywhere. You've got a physical copy of it. You can just come back to it, you know? And, and you said like, you're in those early stages as well. And your first instinct was to like, go out and read the worst case, yeah. the worst kind of potential prepare. situations to prepare, prepare, prepare. Yeah. And I'm very much the same. Um, and, but, but you stopped me by saying that because I'm like going, cause, because you do, you get, it's like quicksand, you get bogged down in the kind of worst mm-hmm. case kind of scenarios of what's going to happen. And, and at that time, early diagnosis, I mean, Charlotte was clearly not in, in a, you know, functioning as a, as a, as a regular, um, a normal um, two and a half year old, mm. three year old. And, um, but there was no seizures, you know, yet there was no falls yet. There was mm-hmm. no super duper hand movements yet the constant moving that wasn't happening yet all these things were to come and at that time i i was just focused on seizures like to me that was mm-hmm. the worst case scenario at two and a half years it's like oh my god she's gonna have a seizure she's gonna have to kind of have to deal with all that medicine with seizures and um, and that's what that's what i was reading about it's just like thinking about it now it's just like that's like in the partly manageable area even though it's something that you kind of can't control but you're trying to control but that's, mm-hmm. you don't have to be kind of worried about that. If I was to kind of go back and talk to myself like now back, it's like, I would take the advice of my neurologist that said at the time I wasn't a fan of my neurologist and I'm liking her. Okay. Now, because at the time she said, just love your daughter and try and expose her to as many things as you can. It's like, hello, you're a neurologist. Tell me something that I need to know. But yeah that's actually the best thing that she could have told me at the time. I didn't want her to tell me that. I wanted her to tell me, you need to do all of these when? things. You need to buy all these things. You need to see yeah. all these people go on this trip. Blah, blah, blah. She didn't tell me any of that. She just said, go home and love your daughter as much as you can. It's like, no, I want, don't just tell me that. Of course yeah. I'm going to do that. But that was actually the best thing that she could have told me, which I didn't realize at the time. I hated her for many years after that, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but that was the best thing. So I think all of those groups together really helped. I think yeah. I, I often think though, dads are excluded from this because quite often mm-hmm. the mum's more involved and at the early stages I was trying to get families involved in our get-togethers locally like not just the mums and the kids and the siblings but the dads mm-hmm. I found that a trickier target group and I and I'm not sure and obviously Mark's not part of this podcast um, and I don't know if you've interviewed dads or if that's part of the um or maybe there's no time but I think um 
and in terms of just that general stereotype of men not being as in touch with sharing and being emotional or seeing any credit with that in terms of sharing that experience, that awareness, that was a trickier group in terms of a family unit, in terms of a relationship to try and help with that grieving process and that assimilation. It's like, I think, and there were a lot of dads when those early groups that came on board and they were really happy to be there. They said, look, you know, quite often we get, you know, we're not on those online groups. We're not checking those blogs, but to be here and seeing other dads doing it, and realising, you know, it's, it's, we're going to be okay because we've got other dads to rely on or other dads to not literally cry if we can if we want, but just tap each other mm. on the back and go, you know, it's it, it's shit. Like, this is crap, yeah. but it's okay. Yeah. We're going to get through it together, you know? And I think dads need that even more than than mum. Not more than because naturally a lot of women mm. just chat, chat, chat about it because I just always think if I wasn't someone that was – um, and I've met other people, uh, other parents with Rett syndrome with older Rett girls – back in those days that they don't want to get together with other Rett syndrome families. They just mm-hmm. want to do what they think is best and maybe touch in with some of the local people um, in terms of, um, you know, therapy and special needs groups and not, not in terms of um, relationship wise, but just in terms of doing what they have done on, a, on, I think on a basic level, because to me it has to be, to me it has to be everything. But if mm-hmm. I was on the other side of just doing what needs to be done and ticking that off and not really, I think there'd be a big gap for me because for me emotionally dealing with it with other families that are going through something similar, it's so helpful. I mean, even yeah. in Charlotte's school, like it's so helpful because it also gives you perspective as well. Um, it shows you that, okay. And what actually my sister-in-law, um, I should say ex-sister-in-law, but at the time of Charlotte's diagnosis, I never used to go on about Charlotte's situation. It's just like, because I didn't want that whole pity thing, even though I used to feel it. And, she caught me sometimes in those early stages. She'd come over and visit me in Charlotte during the day if she had a day off and she'd say, I said, look, I don't want to be crying and talking about it all the time because, like, that's upsetting for me and for Charlotte and for you. She's going, but, Caroline, you're going through something really full-on. Yeah, other because I would or I'd always kind of say, yeah, but other people are going through things that are much worse. Other kids have kids that are dying or that have died or that that can't breathe, that can't eat by themselves, that, that can't walk, that, you know, can't do all these things that Charlotte can. And, and it's not a competition. It's not about that. She's going, but, but you're allowed to be sad too. You're allowed to grieve that. And I'm not talking about that Charlotte's maybe in a better situation than other kids, but you're allowed to grieve those things that she can't. And it's okay. And I think that was really important as well because, and that's what other families getting together with other families do. They give you that perspective. They're going, okay, your child has got maybe more challenging needs than my child today or maybe forever, but we still have to deal with ourselves. We still have to deal with our husbands or our partners. So we're still dealing with kind of similar stuff and we need to share these things because I'm such a big believer. I mean, I'm not doing as much writing as I used to do, but in terms of writing, in terms of singing, in terms of these creative outlets, like mm. our stories, our, our vulnerabilities, they make us stronger to share them, even though you don't want to share them. They make us stronger and it gives other people something to lean on. Mm. And we have to share our stories, our, our hates, our loves. Sounds like it's kindergarten when I'm saying it out loud, but it just makes us, it makes us stronger and it makes us see that, you know, it, it's really crap at the moment. It might be crap for a long time. It might feel okay tomorrow. It might not okay. And that it's all okay. And and, has those, and those connections are so important for all of us because it's not just the connections to mum to mum or dad to dad or dad to mum or even just in a, a marriage or relationship in terms of an intimate relationship. 
then you're modeling for your own child and your own children. They're saying, hang on, mum and dad are leaning on other parents. I can lean on other people too. So it's the ripple effect of that is enormous. So mm. there is something definitely to be said of having that solitary kind of healing process by yourself or just that time alone. We all need that time alone. But I think as equally, we need to have that time of being with a group of people that are going through similar things because it's like a, it's like a pillow, isn't it? You can just lean there for a minute and just kind of have a cup of tea together. And it's, it's important. And it just makes things better. It doesn't cure stuff. It doesn't, you know, but it just helps you get through the day and we're all just getting through the day. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, these are our days. They're busy. They're full. They're, they're emotional. They're energetic. And we just need those, those people in our lives online, in person, even people that might have passed that we can relate to, you know, I think there's, it's good energy. You know, before Charlotte was in school, I was meeting quite a few people during school hours, obviously when Georgia was in school um, with other um, girls with Rett syndrome that were, were younger or maybe older and they weren't in the school system. And, and I, we really, I felt like we all, a few of us really clung to each other in those early days because you know, they weren't in the school system and we weren't going back to work or part-time work or anything. But as soon as Charlotte went to school, then that changed. And that was terrible because you felt like you had this strong support system before school. And then now you were launched into another system of like other special needs parents that you really didn't want to have a bar at that time. Cause you felt like you had, because I have a diagnosis with Charlotte, we had some people don't, didn't have that before school. And, and that makes me feel sad that they didn't have anything that I had before school with Charlotte. And I feel grateful that I had that. But then you launch into another environment with other support systems that you really don't want to have to do it again. It's like, oh my God, I have to do this again, you know. Yep. <laughs> and, then do it, and then it's like, okay. And then you're happy that you did it, though it's that process and it's that time and it's that energy. And then that just keeps on changing. So, and, and with all that transitioning, I just thought, this is so exhausting. I don't, I don't know if I can do it. So what right now, what we've got in Perth, which is a great resource for us local, there's probably about 15 of us. We're on like a, just a messenger group on Facebook. I've called ourselves the, the, the Perth Rhett Mama Posse or some ridiculous kind of hip hop reference, <laughs> tag, which I love. And, um, and you know, it's open and we add people um, as people, unfortunately, when people get a diagnosis, you know, we add them to this group and not everyone's active on it. Um, and we don't really get together very much at all because, you know, a lot of people are in the school system now and they're, they're at school and stuff, but quite, but people, we can all, we're free and open to just post just random questions that might be what wheelchairs a girl got, what nappies are they using? And because it's local, apart from the online things, it means that we know that we can go to someone locally that we can actually ring or see right there, right now, you know, it might be a half mm -hmm. an hour drive, 20 minute drive. And that's having, I mean, online is amazing and fantastic and I love it. And I'm so glad that it's there, but having, a local group is mm -hmm. so important for people that might not have it. Think, oh no, I'm okay. I don't need to have anyone local because I've got connections everywhere online. It's like, I think you really need to be brave and have those, like, even if it's just one person that shares the diagnosis, even if it's a different manifestation of that. Because all of our girls are so different. Mm. It's so important just to have that one face that you might see. It's really important, I think. Again, you might think that you, you know it all and you'd be okay. But someone else's story can help you and someone else's experience can help you. So I do agree that having a local group, not just, you know, the international groups or the national groups, but a local group can really benefit you because they would know suppliers and all the, you know, different shops, all the different therapists in your area that could really, you know, add to your life. So, yeah, finding a local group is a, is a great idea. 
Again, thank you so much to Caroline for sharing so much of her story so honestly with me for the podcast. It's never an easy thing to admit where you could have done better as a parent. Parenting is an incredibly hard job in itself and then you throw in a red syndrome diagnosis and a marriage, it can be an incredibly stressful period in anyone's life. Caroline and I continue our conversation in part two of this episode, so please head on over and have a listen to what life has been like in her life with a red syndrome diagnosis. As always, I'd love for you to share this podcast, especially with others that might be in the same situation as the families I've talked to. We've always said that our stories can bring comfort to others when they need it the most. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, share the episodes throughout October and beyond. We'd love to spread Rett Syndrome awareness to whoever we can. Wherever you are in your Rett Syndrome adventure, or if you're listening to this podcast to learn more about the families living with Rett Syndrome, thank you for listening.